Welcome to the inaugural Ontario Pharmacists Association Pharmacist Matters podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bates, the CEO of OPA. When we first envisioned launching a podcast, the world was a very different place. Corona was simply the name of a beverage, but now what we're experiencing is uncharted territory. Here at OPA and through this podcast, we endeavor to make this thought-provoking, compelling, and to address some of the challenges that uh, the pharmacy profession is facing, as well as the opportunities. Today, we're going to focus more on the COVID-19 pandemic, the role of pharmacy, and how this will change healthcare into the future. I want to take a moment to thank the 20,000 plus pharmacy professionals in Ontario, and indeed, all healthcare providers across both Canada and the U.S., on the hard work that they're doing. We know that they're placing themselves at uh, the front lines to contribute solutions and help patients manage their medications. There's a great opportunity for us to even do more and contribute solutions. And we at OPA are working hard to ensure that not only are pharmacists designated as essential healthcare providers, but that we're relaxing regulations and advancing new scope initiatives that will allow pharmacists to better serve their patients in a safe uh, environment. Just to give you a bit of context before we uh, introduce our guests for our first podcast, is that we have a number of initiatives that are underway and ask the government, first and foremost, is to make sure that pharmacy professionals have access to personal protective equipment. We understand that there is a supply of short shortage of these supplies, but certainly it's important to protect our frontline healthcare professionals. In addition to that, we want to expedite common ailments. We want to implement emergency prescribing and enable point of care testing with access to labs. We think it's important and it's an opportunity to enable and implement virtual care, particularly as it relates to medication reviews and our MedCheck program. We know that there are some challenges around stockpiling, not just within pharmacy, but across other vertical industries of consumer products. So we think it's important to protect and maintain our supply chain. And to do that, we want to limit to 30-day supply, uh, but at the same time, maintain professional judgment of pharmacists that if a patient should qualify for clinical reasons for larger quantities, that would still be permitted. But by limiting 30-day supply, will ensure that everyone can have access to their medications. We're also asking the government to have a moratorium on audits during the pandemic and to relax uh, with the college, relax regulations around deliveries and signature requirements. And we'll also be challenges with frontline healthcare providers and pharmacists in particular around receiving prescriptions in non-traditional manners, things along transmission protocols of emails and things of that nature. What we've done at OPA is we've created a pharmacist resource guide for COVID-19. It provides a number of uh, parameters and suggestions and best practices around how best to manage during this pandemic. Also of interest, Health Canada has agreed to a Section 56 exemption of the Controlled Substances and Drug Act to permit pharmacies to prescribe controlled substances during this time. So with that, uh, I want to introduce uh, a very compelling guest, somebody who I've uh, been observing and following on social media for some time. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Blair Tielemeyer, who's a PharmD and an independent consultant pharmacist living in Arkansas with her husband and two children. Her latest project is creating a step-by-step framework for building and selling pharmacist-led clinical services. The Pharmapreneur's Business Blueprint, 
She is the founder of the Pharmapreneur Academy, an online membership community where she's guided hundreds of pharmacists, entrepreneurs through the process and challenges of building advanced clinical services. She is the author of How to Build a Pharmacy Consulting Business and facilitates in-person business mastermind retreats and virtual summits for the pharmapreneurs across the country. So with that, Blair, I would, I'm very pleased to introduce you and I'd like to hear from your perspective because uh, I know you're doing a lot of innovative things and you're really going out there and uh, teaching people, teaching pharmacists, equipping them with the tools and education to change the way that they practice. But in this time of a pandemic, really like to hear your perspective on what you're doing and, and how things are uh, both in your state and across the U.S. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm, I'm so excited to be part of this inaugural podcast. And you're right, today is, is such a time of uncertainty uh, worldwide, but I believe that pharmacists can really step forward to emerge as a source of good information and also a source of non-emergent medical needs during this time. So we'll talk a little bit more about, about that, but I think really what I wanna encourage pharmacists listening to do right now is to cultivate a more entrepreneurial mindset. So I talk about different mindsets and as a coach, you know, the employee mindset says, I, I can find a, a position and work for 40 years with very little changes, then, you know, know exactly what to expect every single day and retire with a pension. And as we're seeing the pharmacy job market and the industry is changing so quickly right now, that that is just not a reality anymore for most pharmacists. So this entrepreneurial mindset that I talk about says, let's look at our career as, you know, as a spider web and look at where am I seeing the opportunities? Where am I seeing trends? Where am I seeing gaps in care that I could leverage my existing skills to fill those gaps and meet the needs of my patients. And I think that now more than ever is very important for pharmacists to begin cultivating this entrepreneurial mindset. So maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, how you envision pharmacy's role in, during a pandemic. What are the things that we need to do to better enable the regulatory framework as well as um, you know, better managing patients? I, I think, you know, patients and pharmacists are uh, understandably anxious about uh, the information they hear. And we know that, that pharmacy is the most highly accessible healthcare provider. And in fact, here in Ontario, we have, uh, in many cases, we have uh, other healthcare providers shutting down at a time of crisis, mm -hmm. uh, dentists, uh, as well as some physician offices. And that's dispersing patients into the community, either through hospital uh, ER visits or through the doors of a pharmacy. And that both introduces uh, opportunities to help safely manage patients, but it also introduces risk to healthcare professionals. So what, what, what's happening from a best practice perspective and, and how do you think we can 
um, use this as an opportunity to demonstrate not only our value, but to help patients navigate through this pandemic. Yeah, so we're, we're already seeing the opportunities come up uh, for, you know, telehealth consults and uh, emergency refill authorizations. And should the drug supply chain, as you mentioned, become affected, we'll probably also see the opportunity for therapeutic substitutions and making recommendations if we can't access patients' chronic medications for you know what else we could use to, to fill and meet their needs. We're also seeing pharmacists uh, being leveraged for point-of-care testing services. So ruling out other illnesses like flu or like strep is very important in helping to keep from overburdening the already taxed healthcare system. And I believe with the personal protective equipment that you mentioned, with access to that, pharmacists can really step up in order to serve our communities as a place for non-emergent medical care. So ruling out those other illnesses that can cause symptoms very similar to the, the coronavirus, we can, we can actually try to help to decrease the burden on the medical system. Also, I believe that when, when we see the vaccine being rolled out and they're in production of it right now, I think that will also be leveraged as a distributor of the vaccine. So using uh, community pharmacies primarily to vaccinate very large numbers of people is probably what's going to to make the most sense because as you said we're the most accessible healthcare provider we're we already have the models in place and we can just very quickly if you've you know if you've already got these workflow processes set up you can very quickly adapt and adjust to meet the needs of the community so I've been talking for about five years now about the importance of building out clinical programs as part of a pharmacist's offerings and really making pharmacy as a destination for staying healthy, helping people stay healthy. I think traditionally we've always been thought of as you only go to the pharmacy when you're sick. And part of what we're seeing now is a, you know, a flip-flop of that in that we can be viewed and in order to be viewed that way, we need to do a better job talking about our value, but we need to show patients that pharmacy and pharmacists are a place that you can go to use as a resource to help you and your family stay healthy. And that's, what I would really like to see come out of this pandemic. You make some great points, and, and I really think about it as part of the solution around wellness and prevention, as well as helping, helping patients manage their conditions as they go through their journey. We know the accessibility is one of our key advantages. Um, one of the things that, that I think we're experiencing here in Canada is the perception, uh, because often both the public in terms of their views of the healthcare system, as well as payers, private and public, view pharmacists slightly differently 
at least um, up to recently, than they do other healthcare providers. And perhaps that's because we are both in the public-private system. We operate businesses, retail and otherwise. We're in healthcare, integrated healthcare teams as well. So we, we straddle a lot of parts of the healthcare system. But one of the challenges today, and we, we're trying to get pharmacists and pharmacy professionals designated as essential services, while everything is being shut down, uh, including some physicians that are turning away patients that are uh, either over 65 or 70 or uh, closing their practice altogether, uh, you know, the flow of patients is going to end up going in, into stores. And that's where, you know, really identifying ourselves as part of that front line and protecting the front line. Um, but in order to get access to the, uh, the PPE, the protection equipment, sanitizers, gloves, masks, etc., the, the designation is critically important because we need to be on the list of uh, priority healthcare providers. But we do find that uh, policymakers don't necessarily see pharmacists as frontline healthcare providers. Um, do you have that a similar challenge um, in the U.S., or is that something you've been able to overcome? Yes, absolutely. That is that is something I think that as a profession we we haven't haven't really been traditionally that good at uh, tooting our own horns, at touting the value of pharmacist services. And one of the things I've done on the Elevate Summit is I've actually interviewed marketing experts in different. Um, in different areas, so speaking, uh, news media, and the the news media and publicity expert brought up some really interesting points about how pharmacists could be reaching out to their local news media stations and offering to you know be an expert. So we're we're very used to seeing physicians talking about health concerns on maybe local news stations, but we traditionally as pharmacists haven't really kind of pushed ourselves into the spotlight. And I think it's really time to change that because the perception of, of pharmacists right now, uh, you know, on a positive side, we are also one of the most trusted professions. We are seen as medication experts and people definitely, you know, being able to, to leverage that trust and leverage that knowledge, I think what we need to do is kind of rebrand ourselves. And that's really what, what I talk about whenever we're talking about changing your mindset to an entrepreneurial mindset and looking at where, you know, wh what, what angle could we put on this so that people can see pharmacy as a destination for non-emergent medical care and a destination to and a resource so that they can stay healthier and and make sure that their families are staying healthy so we can really add a lot of value to patient experiences you know not just during this time of pandemic but also we need to talk more about what it means to be we always say we're the medication experts we need to talk more to patients, to providers, to payers about what exactly that means in dollars saved for the healthcare system. And that's when people really start paying attention is when 
pharmacists learn to articulate our value and equate it to dollars saved and cost savings. So for example, you say, I have a patient coming into my store, they have you know, fever and some of the symptoms, but they haven't been exposed to anyone with you know, the coronavirus, they haven't traveled recently, they don't really fit the criteria for a coronavirus test, but we can offer a flu and a strep test. So say we do a flu test, it comes back positive. We have a collaborative agreement. We're able to dispense Tamiflu or Zofluza. That patient avoids a, you know, seeking higher levels of medical care. They go back home and they take their course of therapy and they avoid, you know, continuing to, to seek higher levels of, of care because the pharmacy was able to identify very quickly uh, what that acute illness was and avoid in, in terms of cost savings that person seeking more advanced levels of care in the healthcare system. So that's just one example, but there's so many examples of ways that we can help patients in terms of, you know, cost savings. You mentioned preventative medicines. So, you know, pharmacists are the right profession, I believe, to bring in this, these concepts of preventative um, healthcare services, lifestyle modifications, um, immune boosting support, all of these things we understand because of our pharmacological uh, and medicinal chemistry background. And we can kind of integrate these and in, in what we're calling now is integrative medicine into mainstream or traditional Western healthcare. And we, we know that we can do these things. We, we understand as a profession the value that we can offer, we just need to get better at creating a message around pharmacy and rebranding it on a, a larger scale so that we're talking to people outside of pharmacy who understand the value, whether they're regulators or news media, uh, who, can, who can impact those perceptions and really change I think the the direction of where pharmacy is heading in the next 10 or 20 years. I think that's a really important point that I want to emphasize because we often talk about how do we create that emotional connection to the public by leveraging the fact that we know from public opinion polls year over year that we're the most trusted healthcare professional, as you pointed out, and we're right up there with nurses and physicians. So how do we tell that story, a compelling story to those who are paying for the services and tie that into the business case that you mentioned, the return on investment. And there's economic value, there's also the experience, and there's the accessibility piece, which is the convenience and the access to more primary care services in the community. And I think if you talked at the dinner table across the country with folks, people would agree and nod their heads that, yeah, that makes sense. You know, they don't necessarily see us that way in, in its wholesome uh, model with respect to accessing stores or uh, pharmacists as healthcare destinations, but more and more that's that's evolving. And I think if we can, can tell that compelling story to governments and to private payers that you know this is an important integral part of the healthcare system, and in fact we're not we're not setting ourselves up against another healthcare professional. And what I see and how I think we need to position ourselves is that we're creating capacity. 
and the doctor's chair will always be occupied, but you want to make sure that it's the right person for the right reasons at that office. The same with the hospital. The beds are going to be occupied, but you want to make sure it's the right person. And if you can serve that patient in the community, we really do need to tap into the expertise of, of pharmacists. But I still feel we have uh, more to do on that front in terms of transforming that healthcare model. And then you add in the complexity of disruption. So you look at the Amazons and you look at almost every other consumer product category where online purchasing, omni-channel, that, pay, that customer experience is so central to uh, loyalty and to uh, sustainability of a business. Healthcare is still playing catch up and we're seeing that drug distribution model uh, undergo deflationary pressures, margin erosion, uh, and certainly new technologies being embraced around virtual care will only accelerate that. But you have an interesting story from when you started doing a lot of this work in 2014, you know, well, well before Amazon got into pharmacy, you started to see a lot of this. And uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you, what your journey is into uh, looking at practice differently and really transforming into more of a healthcare delivery service versus, uh, you know, and, and complementing the drug distribution, which is important, but not uh, where the future of the business is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I was working as a clinical hospital pharmacist in 2014. And because of what you just mentioned, declining reimbursements and, you know, changes in the, the job market, I my position was eliminated. So I was pretty much forced into figuring out what I could do with my skills and how to package them in a new way. And what I ended up doing as a consultant pharmacist was doing medication therapy management consults for patients. That eventually led me into doing uh, you know, genetic testing consults and looking into functional medicine and really just continuing to follow my curiosity in how much more can, can I be doing with, with the, my skills in pharmacology and biochemistry and, you know, the cytochrome P450 system. We talked about, I, I interviewed a, a functional medicine pharmacist and she started talking about the Krebs cycle. And I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about the Krebs cycle in forever. But we have all this training, we have all this knowledge that can be, it really can be leveraged in new ways. So as I started working as a consultant, I was really focusing on how can pharmacists provide this value? How can we help people save money? And around that same time in 2015, the U.S. government passed a new legislative packet called MACRA. And what MACRA basically did was introduced a value-based payment model for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. And it shifted the focus from you're going to get reimbursed a set amount for each service you offer to you'll be reimbursed based on the outcomes you get for your patients. And that was really interesting to me because physicians and providers, they're, they're already operating at max capacity. They are, you know, burned out at new levels. They're facing the same declining reimbursements and struggles that pharmacies facing. So now they're being asked to do more and get better results with no additional support or resources. So I really saw pharmacy 
as having this opportunity to step into primary care practices in particular and shifting the focus of I'm going to offer a medication therapy management consult just so we can avoid adverse reactions to I'm going to step in and offer medication therapy consults to patients so that we can get that patient better outcomes that align with the quality metrics of that primary care clinic. So that's what I've been focusing on for the past four years is really building out these advanced practice models for pharmacists that are aligned with the value-based payment programs. And I, I really, I have been seeing the shift from pharmacies always traditionally been a product-centric business model, uh, the product being dispensing of medications, whereas you know primary care physicians have a service-based business model. What I'm seeing now is pharmacy shifting, not completely into service-based, but shifting more so that we are less product-focused and more service-focused. And I think that will, that will allow us to, to step in and be a resource for our colleagues in primary care and to help them meet these, these quality metrics and meet these demands for, um, you know, the pay for performance, what they've outlined in terms of patient goals and quality metrics for patients. I find that very fascinating because when we are advocating as a professional uh, pharmacy advocacy body for expanded scope of practice, we're seeing an interesting um, almost dichotomy develop with the pharmacy professionals. Some uh, are, are talking about the work place issues. And, and it is um, somewhat uh, contentious and controversial around can, do we have the capacity, do we have the appropriate infrastructure support uh, to be able to free up enough time to be able to do a minor ailments uh, assessment for something, let's say, uh, uncomplicated UTI, um, or to assess and prescribe uh, medications to patients. And that workflow and operational elements is still very much rooted in the uh, transaction and the drug distribution model, which will always be a core or central part of, of pharmacy, to your point. But how do we support the pharmacist? Uh, I mean, we're hearing and we get uh, a lot of um, pharmacists that uh, ask us you know, from a, uh, an association perspective, what are you doing for me? How are you making my working conditions better for me? particularly now when you look at the pandemic and perhaps a seismic shift in how consumers behave, how businesses operate, how people view accessing healthcare. Um, you know, we don't know what yet what the long-term impact's going to be uh, of the new normal, so to speak, um, when the pandemic, uh, uh, you know, either starts to decline or, or passes. But I'm thinking, you know, with the Amazon and all the disruption that's out there and the demand, the patient's demand for service delivery model that's different than the current one, how do we address those workplace issues um, and, and make it so that it's a partnership with owners and managers and, and the profession? Because I think that's one of our biggest challenges. As an association, we represent pharmacy professionals, but we know the reimbursement model, uh, for the most part in, in Canada, goes to owners and then trickles down 
Um, and we hear things about standing up, uh, having your lunch always, um, not having enough time for restroom breaks, things like that. Um, and I see this as one of the, the biggest challenges we have in creating that cohesive model and transforming into a service-based uh, environment. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that and some of the things that you observed over your career and what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. And I think that that technology will also this will be a a time for technology and I, I even see AI coming into to impact healthcare delivery services. But what what I see is the dispensing models definitely not going away. That's that's something, like you said, that is core to the practice of pharmacy. What instead I see is creating additional new jobs that allow pharmacists to maybe have an appointment-based model in a community pharmacy setting. So this could mean uh, if, if you're, say, you own your own drugstore and you're the only pharmacist that's working there maybe it's time blocking so that your staff members know that you know for this 30 minutes you have a a a scheduled appointment with a patient that you're going to be sitting down with them doing a comprehensive medication review or doing a genetic test or doing a smoking cessation counseling service whatever it may be, you can create these workflows and systems that leverage the pharmacy support staff. So most of the time when I hear that pharmacist workflow doesn't support additional services, well, as we're seeing during this pandemic, we're going to be asked to do it whether or not we've got the workflow figured out. So figuring it out as as quickly as possible and making sure that these systems and processes are in place is going to be very, very important for the evolution of the profession. So leveraging these support staff members who can be doing certain parts of the clinical service like patient intake forms and gathering patient information and making sure that uh, they remember their appointment, you know, maybe calling ahead of time putting together programs like medication synchronization or delivery services during this time when people can't, you know, aren't supposed to be leaving the house and and not interacting in a public setting. So looking at what, what are the workflow challenges right now? And if we are going to be asked to, to do these things anyway, like, you know, testing for uh, flu or coronavirus or strep, and then administering things like vaccines or even dispensing of Tamiflu or other uh, antivirals via protocols, what, what is the best workflow that would make the most sense in pharmacy? And do you need an additional, like a consultant like myself, to come in uh, you know, maybe four hours, a couple days a week in order to see these patients and run these clinical programs. Because I think what we're seeing is as the job market is very strained and possibly even shrinking for a lot of pharmacists because of the decreased resources being allocated to, to dispensing, what I see is as we increase these clinical programs 
it's going to create more jobs for pharmacists. And we can really show a return on investment for a lot of these pharmacist services if we create them uh, with return on investment in mind, if we create them with a patient outcome results oriented program in mind. So we can put those in place and really, you know, there's one of my friends owns a pharmacy in North Carolina. It was up until three or four years ago, just a, a traditional community pharmacy. And through addition of different clinical services, now they have an HIV clinic, they do chronic care management, they're doing remote uh, patient monitoring services in collaboration with physicians' offices. I think they have added 11 clinical pharmacists to their team in the past two years just because the demand for these services is growing so quickly. They, they cannot continue to ask a pharmacist to do dispensing and clinical services, but they are creating new positions and new jobs for pharmacists. And I think that's what's most exciting for me about this is being able to create your own role and create what I call your dream job. Do you think there is a, a real issue with workplace? Let me either cut right to it. Um, I mean, you're, you've seen many different models and practices. I'm sure that uh, you've read the New York Times article uh, that singled out a particular business model for medication errors and, and really suggesting that there's a, a big problem here, uh, burnout with the profession of uh, challenges around uh, workflow and how we operationalize the services. I and mean, you've spoken about some of the, the opportunities, but at the end of the day, do you believe that uh, we do have a problem that needs to be addressed? Um, and or, or is this, you know, a small number and, and something that with some innovative uh, injection of innovative models can be um, easily fixed? Or are we talking about a much bigger problem that we need to really focus on concrete solutions for? Yeah, I think so, you know, looking at pharmacists that are are being forced to meet these volume-based metrics, I definitely think that that pharmacy has lost a bit of its power to these corporations who are so focused on volume and getting back to our focus on patient care. You know, we took the oath of the pharmacist and the oath of the pharmacist doesn't say that you have to fill a prescription in under a minute. It says you have to do what is in the best interest of the patient. You know, it, it seems, and I, I commend and am a part of pharmacist organizations because of the advocacy that can take place by a professional organization that an individual may not be able to accomplish on their own because uh, the, the advocacy that comes from an organization helps highlight these issues that are more intrinsic because of the corporate focus on profits and volume and you know and all that and has really taken the the power away from the pharmacist to do what's in the best interest of the patient so hopefully um, we you know the New York Times article it definitely shed a lot of light on error rates and the lack of, of resources that pharmacists have um, I, I have seen some corporations reversing some of those metrics and, uh, you know, 
really loosening up their their focus on making sure that pharmacists are meeting a certain number. So I, I think that the more pharmacists can can get out there and, and share these issues, I don't think it was uh, a surprise to any pharmacist that read that article that there was a patient safety risk that was going on by focusing on volume-based and time-based metrics. And um, the more we can basically take ownership of the story and, and tell you know, change the perception of, of pharmacy from this, this idea of it, you know, should be as fast as fast food and, you know, use the drive through and, you know, farm, the prescriptions being filled in less than five minutes and some of that nonsense is that we can, we can take back the, the message that we want to convey to people. And, and that's really what I mean by rebranding pharmacy and changing the perception. So I, I want to encourage pharmacists to, to talk about these challenges that are happening in the workplace. And, um, you know, and I think it's, we're, we're definitely having an opportunity to have a moment in the spotlight. And I want, I want to encourage pharmacists to lean into that and to continue to think about how, how you want to practice pharmacy in the future. And that, that's, a, I think, exactly where I wanted to go with the uh, conversation because at OPA, we're working with the college, uh, among other stakeholders, to in a working group to take an evidence-based approach based on the data and looking at, we have uh, now in the province, uh, we have mandatory medication error reporting. So we want to understand what the problem is. And rather than have a finger-pointing exercise uh, with one model versus another, we really want to have a, a principled approach to this and, and to understand the problem, develop the solution. And I, I think errors happen. I think errors happen across um, multi, multiple different environments. And we want to understand and unpack that and really come up with uh, tools uh, and resources for pharmacists so that they have their professional autonomy, that it is focused on patient, uh, patient-centered care and ultimately driving better health outcomes. And I think a big part of that is the reimbursement model because it is in a, some ways it's a perverse model because you're, you are paying for more uh, distribution, more volume. Um, you know, things like deprescribing as an example, if pharmacists were uh, reimbursed for uh, deprescribing, um, that would help in terms of ensuring that uh, you're not just uh, rewarding based on uh, more scripts going out the door. So I think there's innovative approaches and I think reimbursement's part of it. I think the infrastructure and support and all of the apparatus around pharmacists is really critical. But as at this time, as we advocate for more scope of practice, this is a tension point where pharmacists are uh, in, in some cohorts pushing back and, and saying, well, we don't have enough time to do that. So we don't want to fall on that uh, or lean on that crutch because I think there there is time. It's just a matter of taking an innovative approach to the practice. And I think you have demonstrated uh, with the work that you've been doing for the last six years just how you can approach that and embrace technology, incorporate new ways to deliver uh, services to patients. And I think if there's a silver lining um, of all of the, the chaos and, and the unprecedented times that we're in right now, 
it's that pharmacy will be forced into looking at things, um, creative ways to manage their patients to uh, protect themselves, but also um, continue with the continuity of care. And I think we will shine um, as a profession through this as uh, the public and, and payers will see that we only not only stepped up to continue to provide care, but we did it in uh, in, in an optimal environment. So we hope um, that you know, certainly that uh, is something that we can continue to build momentum around, uh, not just for the short term, but but certainly in the long term. I want to thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts and, and insights. It's really, really helpful to get a perspective of, uh, of an independent consultant pharmacist and, and some of the, learn about some of the things that, that you've incorporated and, and the work that you're doing. I know I'm going to be uh, signing up for the Elevate uh, Pharmacy conference. I think that's a, a wonderful initiative to share best practices and insights from a variety of different sources within our industry. We are in uh, challenging times, but uh, you clearly uh, demonstrated that there are bright spots here and that uh, the future for pharmacy and pharmacists uh, has a lot of opportunities ahead of it. So once again, thanks for joining us on our inaugural podcast. Uh, appreciate your time and we'll look to have you on at another point uh, in the future. Thank you. Yes. And, and I, as you said, I'm, I'm very excited about this time because I, I do think it presents a very unique turning point for the profession to be able to evolve and adapt to the changing demands for pharmacist services. So I, you know, I think it's important for us to have a, a unified front um, as a profession, a unified message that's coming so, you know, for, for those who are listening, for if you're interested in, in continuing and, and having more conversations about the future of pharmacy and where it's going and learning about these innovative practice models, uh, the, the ElevatePharmacySummit.com is launching April 8th through the 12th, 2020. If you're listening to this podcast before then, it's a, a free virtual event, no travel required. Um, so, you know, cor- coronavirus proof. So all of our, all of our um, sessions are gonna be online and available online for the remainder of the year. So I'm really, really excited to, um, to show the opportunities and show why I'm so excited about the future of pharmacy. So Justin, thank you so much for having me as well. You're an inspiration for pharmacy professionals, not just uh, in the U.S., but also in Canada. And we here at this podcast, Pharmacist Matters, we want to showcase people like yourself who are doing innovative things and and really uh, changing the way uh, pharmacists uh, practice. So thanks again for joining and uh, stay safe and stay healthy.